Well, I want us to think together tonight about, I've called this gospel accounting. And I'm thinking about the word reckon. I started out with Romans 6 and verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to, I want to think through this. I want to look at a number of scriptures. We'll be primarily in Romans because that's where we find the word most frequently. When I speak of gospel accounting, I'm speaking of evaluating yourself in light of the gospel, considering, accounting in light of the gospel, thinking of yourself in light of your relationship to God, in light of the gospel. How we reckon ourselves is very important. It affects our lives. Every human being reckons himself in some way. We all evaluate in relation to various contexts of life. So this is something we do on a regular basis in many areas of life. But tonight, I'm thinking with you about your evaluation before God. How do you reckon yourself? How should you reckon yourself? And then how does God reckon you? And what difference does it make? And so, as I have indicated, reckon is an accounting term. The Greek word from which that word is comes is a word of accounting. There's a credit and a debit side to the ledger. To reckon is to calculate and consider or weigh the balance. It involves computing. And so the word itself presses us toward considering and meditating or deliberating the matter under consideration, thinking upon whatever it is you're considering or reckoning. You're evaluating. You're setting your mind to it. It's it's used theologically by Paul more than any other in Scripture. The word itself is used about 40 times or so in Scripture. Nineteen of those times you'll find in the book of Romans. And most of those times it is in a theological context. And most of those are in Romans chapter 4, where you'll find the word used 11 times. Translated different ways. Reckon, impute. Count or account. So there's various ways in which it can be. It can even be translated consider. And that's what we're doing tonight. Considering this matter of accounting as it relates to us and the gospel. I want to first think about how an unregenerate person or the unregenerate in general account. So unregenerate accounting. How do the unregenerate reckon or calculate themselves before God? How do lost sinners generally evaluate themselves? And I think most of us, if we if we well, we look at our own experience, but as we engage with others, we would, I think, all agree that most unregenerate people reckon themselves to be good, at least pretty good, at least not as bad as. Somebody else. 
Of course, there are some who might feign a concern that they're not good. But when pressed, there are few who would reckon themselves to be as God describes us. And how does God describe us? This is how this is God's evaluation. We're talking about the unregenerate here. This is how he reckons. This is how he evaluates the unregenerate. He says, against saying in Romans, you know the verses, there's none righteous, no, not one. Now, most, or maybe I should say many, I don't know if I should use the word most, but many unregenerate people would say, well, they're not perfect. In fact, I would, I would say that a large majority of unregenerate folks probably don't even think it's an issue to be considered. Like, it really doesn't even matter. You Christians are making a big deal out of nothing. If there is a God, he's not a God like that. He doesn't reckon like that. He doesn't consider like that. But this is God's reckoning. This is his consideration. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And you know the how the passage goes on to be very descriptive, actually. And very difficult language, in fact, is used as he describes the corruption of the human being by nature. And so if you reckon yourself good and right before God, apart from Jesus Christ, very simply, I could tell you that you're deceived. You're not seeing yourself like God sees you. It is only when the Spirit of God opens our inner spiritual eyes that we're able to see something of our spiritual and moral bankruptcy. Now, some people say that when you're born again, you see yourself as God sees you. Well, to some degree, that's true. But to the fullest extent, I don't know that any of us sees ourselves in that way. But the set, but, but we do come to the conclusion that the debit side of the ledger contains a load of guilt that we cannot pay. Right? And from this awakened, enlightened sense of our sin, we account ourselves as sinners. As Paul concluded of himself, remember? Chief of sinners. And this was one that originally didn't account himself that way. He didn't consider himself that. He didn't reckon himself that way. But when his eyes were opened to the truth about himself, that's what he saw. And so when our eyes are opened, we have a sense of our desperate need before God that we cannot meet. We can't balance the ledger. And seeing this condition, accounting ourselves sinners before God, there's hope. There really is hope. I mean, who did Jesus come to seek and to save? And he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So there's hope if and when we come to this place, as most of us here tonight have done. And when in this guilty condition we hear that Jesus Christ 
came in love to save sinners while we're drawn to Him in faith. And having been born again, we believe that Jesus alone is able to save us. And so we cast everything upon Him to do something with that guilt that we can't do. To rid us of that debit and that is too great for us and credit us with something that doesn't just balance the ledger, but removes that debt that is against us. So that's the unregenerate accounting moving toward the believer's accounting. So now you're a believer. You've come to faith in Christ. And as believers, we now look at the ledger of our lives and we evaluate. And what's the bottom line as we evaluate the ledger of our own lives? What do we see? Well, we, we know that we haven't yet obtained experientially the fullness of salvation. In other words, we haven't been resurrected. We haven't achieved that final goal that God has intended for us. That's the hope. It's a, as I said this morning, it's a living hope, but it is still a hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. We're saved by hope, Romans 8 tells us. But then in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. And so we, we're, we're evaluating ourselves. We see ourselves this way, like Paul did. But he says, but I press on. That I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And that's the only reason, the only way that I'm going to lay hold is because he has laid hold of me. That's why that song uh, that we sing, he will hold me fast, is so precious to the child of God. Brethren, he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. There's something that's still out there. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling, the high calling, upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so that's that's out there. And so in our accounting, sometimes we 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 stumble, we struggle because we see that and we're not there. And, and then we look at ourselves and we even see our shortcomings and we evaluate and we may become troubled. But, but this is what we must never forget. Because of Jesus Christ, we have justifying righteousness that has nothing to do with our works or it is apart from our works, the works of the law. And so Paul in this Philippian passage says in verses 8 and 9, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Christ was everything to Paul now. Once he blasphemed Christ's name. He blasphemed that worthy name. But now, 
he can't get enough of him. His eyes have been opened. He has seen something. And it's not himself and his own goodness that he has seen. It's Christ. And he says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. That's not what I'm achieving. That's not what I'm seeking to achieve. That's not why I'm living my life in order to achieve my own righteousness that I can present to God and say, now declare me righteous. Oh, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Going back to Romans in chapter 3 and verse 28, we find our word reckon, not translated reckon. Paul says, therefore, we conclude, and that's the word right there, conclude. We reckon, we have, we've evaluated this, we've weighed this matter, and this is the conclusion. After all of the thinking through this thing, evaluating of this thing, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the believer now is evaluating himself as he is in Christ. And what we learn, and here's the thing, we do learn things as we come into Christ and as we as we read all the things that this this glorious gospel and the many aspects of this gospel, we're learning more and more about what it is that we have in Christ. And we learn that our relationship to death, to sin and the law is no longer what it once was. This is what we're called upon to reckon. This is what we're called upon to consider, to think about. So going over to chapter 6, and you know the first ten verses of Romans chapter 6 is all about what has happened, who we are in relationship to Christ. In verse 9 he says, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead. Now, now, do you see that? He says, knowing. I'm in agreement with those who understand that Paul is not simply saying this is a technicality that you have learned. But it is deeper than that. Because, because you... You have been shown something by the Holy Spirit of God. You have been, something has been revealed to your spirit that can't be taken away from you. It can't be shaken from you. It's a, it's a reality that you have come to know. You know it. That Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over you. Or excuse me, over him. Well, I said you, that's not what it says. But in him, neither do you. That's the point. In him, death no longer has dominion, dominion over him, nor does it have dominion over you, because you are in him. In verse 11, 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead. Think about it. Consider it. Calculate this thing. Reckon yourselves. Consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. And then skipping over to chapter 7 and verse 4, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. There is a death that has occurred and there is a life that has occurred. And it's all because of the union that you and I have in Christ, in his death, in his resurrection. So tonight, we're not trying to be free from death. We're not trying to be free from sin. We're not trying to be free from the law. We are. What we're called upon is to remember. We're called upon to reckon. That's what we're doing. We're remembering not just the death, but who we are in that death. What was accomplished on our behalf for us. But that is working in us now. Because of what he has done and what has been done in us because of what he has done, reckoning what is already true in him. And so with Paul, we say, I'm crucified with Christ or I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I'm not being crucified all over again tonight. We're not being crucified all over again. We're remembering. We're reckoning. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. You see. One of the great differences between the truth and a system like Roman Catholicism. This isn't something that's being reenacted. Christ died once, right? It's over. It's done. And he didn't just die once. He died once. And we were in him in that death. And we were in him in that resurrection. And so we are so that we can speak like Paul does. I have been crucified with Christ. Well, I don't feel like I've been crucified with Christ. Well, you weren't actually nailed on the cross. I don't feel like I was in Him. God says you were. And the Spirit of Christ in you, breathing, breathing within you, and, and enlivening that faith in you enables you to, to connect, to reckon, to think, to muse upon and consider yourself. Dead. Consider yourself dead in relationship to sin. Dead in relationship to death. Dead in relationship to the law. It carries no more power over you. That's who I am. That's who you are. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live... In the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God or faith in the Son of God. There is something at work in me that's moving me. And it, and it is, it is dependent upon what took place in Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. And if we're not reckoning ourselves in this way, we're giving opportunity for sin to rise and and the enemy to accuse us under law and fear of death. I mean, the enemy is going to try to accuse you. 
And how is it? What, is, what, is, what does John say in Revelation chapter 12? How, how do we overcome the accuser? It is by the blood of the Lamb and our testimony. The word, the, the word of our testimony. That is, we are engaging, we are reckoning ourselves dead. And so we can say to that enemy, I am dead to that which you are trying to accuse me. I am dead to that which you are trying to create in me, that fear that you are trying to create in me. I'm not listening to you. I'm depending, depending upon the blood of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus. What was accomplished? Not just accomplished in some sort of way distinct from me, though it was distinct from me. I wasn't the one that actually literally died. But there is this sense in, in, a, in the mind of God in which, in which he saw me in Christ. Right? He chose us in Christ. When Christ died, we died. When he rose, we rose. He's seated in the heavenlies. Are you with him? So Ephesians 2 says, you say, it doesn't make any sense to me. It is, it is mysterious language. No doubt about that. But that's how we're to account ourselves, reckon ourselves in this kind of relationship with God. The believer's accounting. I'm right before him. I am accepted in the beloved. I am Part of the beloved. I am, as we have seen in Scripture, called the beloved of God. But then there's God's accounting. And of course, you see where this is going, don't you? And really, this is the most important part. Your accounting and my accounting. How I feel about my ledger doesn't mean much if God's not on the same page. Because he's the ones that we, he's the one that's going to evaluate. Ultimately, he's the righteous judge. He is the one that's going to, as he does even now, he is the final accountant, so to speak. And so ultimately, that's what matters. And as we, as we read the scriptures, we are encouraged and as we consider the gospel and the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and all that goes into remembering Him tonight. This is what we know. God sees Christ. He sees what your eyes have been opened to see, but He saw it before you. And He sees Christ in whom you believe. And He counts it as righteousness. Look at chapter 4 and verse 5. I told you, I'm not going to read chapter 4, but you can read it and over and over and over again. You find that language of accounting in verse 5. It's not the first use of it, but in verse 5, he says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, that's me. But I'm believing on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted. There's the word. Reckoned. Accounted for righteousness. There is no basis for condemnation any longer for me before God. 
Why? Why? Because you are in Christ, in whose death you died, and in whose life you live. Chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, knowing this, do we know this? Do we know it? And may the Spirit of God help us to know it more fully, to enter in more completely with the sense of the reality of what is what is going on in our salvation. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, something happened. And this is past tense. It doesn't say the old man is being crucified right now. Our old man was crucified with him. Something happened. And when you come to faith in Christ, you are entering in, receiving that which was accomplished. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so God has imputed. Now that's... That's that's the word reckoned. He has imputed, credited righteousness to your account and does not impute sin. Look at chapter four. These are such glorious words, really. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man. To whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. God, would you do that? Have you done that? Yes. And that's a blessed condition. Blessed. The blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed. David wrote. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Blessed. God looks upon your ledger Tonight, right now, God is looking upon you. I know we use the terms, I've used all these, the scriptures use this language, but He's looking upon you. What does He see? He sees His own Son who died, is risen, and is interceding for you. He is looking upon you as in His Son. He is looking upon you as one with His Son. And this is the glorious crescendo, really, of the first eight chapters, these doctrinal things that Paul has been working through. And then he comes to chapter 8, and he says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Think about that tonight as you eat this bread and drink this cup. Who's going to bring a charge against me? 
I, I don't say that arrogantly. If that doesn't move you, then you need to know what I'm talking about. You need the, the Spirit's help. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? I'm one of His elect. Who, who shall bring a charge against me? It is God who justifies. You're going to go to God and bring this charge against me when that's the one who has declared me righteous? Who is he who condemns? I'm not condemned. Why are you condemning yourself? Why are you living under that condemnation? It is Christ who died. You see, this is what happens when we really see Christ. Who He is and what He has done. When we see that, it is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us right now. That's what He's doing. In the eternal mind of God. He reckons you and me righteous as the elect of God. God is for you. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Doesn't that just bring some relief to your soul? And how do you know? How do you know? That God is for you. Verse 32. He didn't spare his own son. And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God's redeeming love has intervened for you. And me. The Father, Son, and Spirit are united in love for, for you tonight as you, as a believer, as you partake of these elements tonight. It is not just an act. You are to be reckoning something. You are to be calculating something. And re, and you are to be living in the sense of that which Christ has done for you. And so as we partake of these elements, Jesus, by the Spirit, as I think it was Brother Dell that, that prayed or somewhat, somebody did, somebody mentioned it this evening already. He is, he's with, we're, we're, not, we're not separated from Him. He's actually in our midst. He's actually with us as we partake. The Spirit of Christ joining us with the Father as we remember what He in love accomplished for us. Brethren, this is, this is not a theory. This is reality. Are you eating and drinking tonight in the reality of what has been accomplished and who you are in Christ? In this Reality, if it's, if it settles into your soul, it will be the very impetus to victory 
over every sin that would otherwise overtake you. Did you notice that? How Paul joined this thought to what he's been talking about. Up until verse 11, he has used no imperative. He finally uses one in verse 11 of Romans 6. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves. That's a that's an imperative. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Sin, you are not my master. Oh, it dogs you. It gives you trouble. That's a whole other message. But it is not your master. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, therefore, because that's true. And, and to the, I, the, the, as you reckon that, the more, the more you really know that, as it really becomes a reality to you, sin will not reign. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Again, I say it. It still messes with us. It dogs us. But it, it, it must not, it need not reign. That you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So as you do your accounting tonight. As you reckon yourself to be indeed dead, dead in Christ, dead to sin, alive to God through Christ. As you reckon that, then yield yourself. Lord, I'm yours. Make a fresh, just make a fresh expression of that. I'm yours. I'm yours. I, I, I want to be yours. I want you to use me. I want everything about me to be Yours. And I'm not saying to you, say that and then get out there and get busy. I'm saying, just say that. I'm yours. And then watch. Watch what happens. Watch how God works and moves and lives through you in your flesh. Let's pray.